I spent my summers, um, you know, working on the shrimp plant for my dad and visiting Newfoundland, uh, where all my family's from. And there's just nothing quite like that rustic beauty of a part of the world that's so untouched. Um, and Fundy Gin really harvests, um, you know, that seaside, that seriously clean Arctic current and beautiful sunset, if you will. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Decoding Cocktails podcast. I'm your host, Chris LeBeau. At the ripe age of 38, I left my former career behind and joined the hospitality industry. Since then, I've been on a rapid journey of learning, meeting all sorts of great people, and this, this podcast, is my chance to bring you along with me. Whether I'm interviewing somebody that works in the industry, another enthusiast, or occasionally stepping back to share what I'm working on or my thoughts. I'm so glad you're here. And so with that aside, let's get into today's episode. What's happening, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of Decoding Cocktails, coming to you live, not so live actually, uh, on Tuesday mornings as always, and uh, happy to be here. I am Chris. Thanks for taking time to listen. My guest today is Kristen Pike. By day, she sells learning technologies, but by night, she imports fringe Canadian spirits and liqueurs, which also sounds very interesting. So while Kristen was on a romantic vacation through back home through Nova Scotia, she fell in love with a seaweed gin and couldn't help but find herself thinking about God, I got to get more people exposed to this, in part because she loved it, but also a desire to want to showcase a little bit about the place that she calls home, and thus began her journey of founding Northern Rose Spirits. Uh, and so I was excited to talk with Kristen. She and I had initially chatted on the phone, and uh, we met up at Bar Convent, Brooklyn, and uh, so as a side note, uh, it was while managed pretty well, you'll hear a little bit of background ambient noise, but overall blends in pretty well. Um, but I was excited to taste some of her products, uh, to hear her story because she was clearly passionate about it. But also this industry, there's just so many moving parts. And, you know, while there are, you know, very complex supply chains that get a lot of these products into all sorts of places, at times you have passionate individuals who are suddenly like, you know what? I'm going to try to figure out how to become an importer. And so right around the time COVID-19 was getting ready to ramp up, we were all there. Uh, she was supposed to fly up and finally sit down with this distiller. And so, of course, this waylaid that trip. And so now she's working to build rapport over the phone and Zoom. And, uh, you know, one of the things that's required when you're importing product into a country is to disclose the license, uh, not license, the recipe. And so while some of these distillers even initially were like, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I, I want this product, you know, more widely available. Uh, once Kristen got them on board with it, uh, now she's like, hey, can I have the recipe? And they're like, wait, what is this? Is this some kind of scam? And so anyways, uh, hat tip to Kristen for building out her portfolio and uh, beginning to have some traction there, which is really exciting. And so... You know, it was just interesting to think about what are all the steps required that a person like Kristen undertakes to get something into a bar or onto a bar shelf as opposed to just throwing it to some distributor who handles this stuff all the time. 
Uh, as I record this, a handful of Kristen's products that I didn't get the chance to taste uh, are on their way, and so there's going to be more on this to come. And uh, also kind of recapping uh, a little bit of what she shared as well about the Bay of Fundy, uh, which I think is going to be fun. Uh, so you're going to hear us talk about her amaretto and great amaretto, guys. I mean, just, it's so good. So like, you know, try to get your hands on Kristen. If you're not in the right couple of markets, it could be hard, but like great amaretto is just so good. Uh, and she also has a an aperitivo. And so the aperitivo, I always just like to say, even though Kristen is uh, doesn't love, and this is totally fine, the comparison of Campari and Aperol, when we say aperitivo, we're often talking about a a Italian bitter liqueur. So um, the other thing that I was excited regarding talking to Kristen is that um, there is this incredible world of unique products out there that if we don't look carefully, we can just miss entirely. And Kristen, for example, um, she has found a cheesemaker who had this byproduct of a bunch of whey laying around, and they have made an eau de vie, a brandy, out of their, their whey byproduct. And apparently, I haven't tried this one yet, but you're going to get all sorts of exotic fruit notes um, and herbaceous honey on the nose. And uh, so I just think it's exciting when you know, we continue to see products pop up on the market but to see things like this that are just so out of left field just really inspires you to think, I wonder what else could possibly be out there besides things that just feel like an iterative riff on, the, on what you've already seen. Uh, so anyways, keep up with Kristen and her journey at Northern Rose Spirits. That's where you'll find all the stuff. And uh, enjoy this conversation with Kristen. So here we find ourselves sitting in a courtyard at Industry City in, in Brooklyn. Um, tell us, so, you know, you are one of these uh, crazy people who's working not one job, but two. A lot of people find what compelled you in the first place to decide, you know what, I think I'm going to import gin into the market. How did you find yourself on the path that you're on right now? Wow. Um Great question. I think uh, I think it probably starts with, of course, it starts with the first product that I brought to market, which was the lovely Fundy Gin. Um, it was my partner and I uh, on a trip through Nova Scotia to visit my family in Newfoundland. And that's when we fell in love over multiple, multiple Fundy Gin martinis. Um, and when I first uh, contacted the distillery, they replied back with, thank you, we're, we're flattered, um, but you know we don't ship across Canada, but, but thank you. Um, and I went back and I, <laughs> I, I tasted every gin I could you know, get my lips on, Canadian, seaside, all that good stuff, because um, I had this you know, idea in my head, right? Um, and, but th- this was just, it was special. Um, and so, I flew out to Nova Scotia, where I had gone to college. I found Andrew, uh, the uh, one of the head distillers and co-founders of the distillery. Uh, I found him and at the farmers market, and I told him, "I'm not here to work with you to take on aviation gin. Um, you know, I'm just I'm just here to bring something truly special that reflects and and um, represents a really special part of the the." 
the country, the world uh, that I happen to be from, um, to a place that people really appreciate this sort of thing. Um, and so he told me, um, you're absolutely nuts, lady, but uh, <laughs> I will make you a palette. So that's kind of how we got things started. You know, and I mean, you need a little bit of crazy to do all sorts of things in this world. So, you know, I remember in the early conversations we had, you talked about like, you know, the terroir and the things that make this feel unique to you. So, so tell me a little bit about why, you know, you felt, so there is no shortage of things labeled gin on the market today. Sure. I know there were things about, you know, the area of Fundy Bay that made this feel very unique to you. So paint a picture for us about Fundy yeah. Bay. Tell us why you feel like we we need another gin on the market right now. <laughs> uh, great question. Um, so Bay of Fundy, um, just north of Maine, across the Atlantic, uh, you'll find the province of Nova Scotia. And nestled between the provinces of New Brunswick and Nova Scotia, uh, it, you'll find the Bay of Fundy, which is home to the highest tide in the world. And so that tide goes in and out uh, 40 to 60 feet every um, six hours. So you're essentially able to walk on the seafloor. Um, and it's where, you know, the still-fired distilleries hand harvest their, their sea dulse and there's they're dulse, they're type of seaweed. Um, so it's absolutely stunning. It's home to some really magical creatures, like these many species of whales that we support uh, with the Fundy Gin, um, some incredible seafood, and really incredible people. And I spent my summers um, you know, working on the shrimp plant for my dad and visiting Newfoundland, uh, where all my family's from. And there's just nothing quite like that rustic beauty of a part of the world that's so untouched. Um, and Fundy Gin really harvests, um, you know, that seaside, that seriously clean Arctic current and beautiful sunset, if you will. You know, for a lot of people, I don't know what they are. To me, like, you know, when I think about, like, you know, iconic types of gin... I think about like, you know, a beef eater, a tangeray, you know, things, these very, very, you know, sharp, dry juniper notes. And I suppose since we're sitting here with a bottle in front of me, I should, I probably have, I'll have myself a little taste right now, but tell us when I open this bottle right here, what in the heck am, am I going to potentially run into right here? Yeah, I, I think what you're touching on is is you know what many people have this connotation of gin with pine yes. right so you kind of have this and in fact i was at a tasting on saturday upstate new york and a gentleman said to me oh I've, i i can't i can't have gin you know i've drank too much of this you know in my uh, earlier years and i always encourage people to at least smell um and you know, one of the reasons why people have this idea of gin, of gin being this kind of piney, um, you know, distasteful thing in, in some cases yep. uh, is is a lot to do with the juniper, right? So uh, 
in this case, in the gin of what you're smelling and, mm -hmm. and, and sipping right now, the juniper itself is very carefully chosen. Um, it's a juniper from Croatia, so it's a little more sweet and a little more floral. Um, very intentional. Uh, the distillers uh, at Still Fired, they wanted to balance the umami of the, the seaweed with this sweet floral juniper. They tried even, I think it was over 300 local to uh, northeast juniper uh, varieties, but they're all so piney. Um, so that's kind of how they landed on this juniper from Croatia. And so um, it's really amazing to see someone's reaction uh, when they go from, in the example of this gentleman upstate this weekend, from I don't, I don't drink gin to, wait a minute, he's bought not one, but two bottles. Right, right, yes. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, and I think that's, I mean, it's one of the remarkable things to me about spirits in general these days is have, you know, not everything has to be for everybody, but, you know, we're carrying these memories or ideas of what things have tasted like, and then we discover a quality or diversity of flavor that makes us kind of rethink yeah. these things right here. So I know in general, so Fundy Gin is, you know, was the kind of first product you really kind of hang your hat on, but... Tell us a little bit about uh, Northern Rose in general, your company, because, you know, what, you know, I, I joke about all the time in, in class is, is like, you know, you know, you're, you know, you walk into a liquor store these days and you're just like, the onslaught of product is insane. Yeah. And so, you know, and again, as we sit here at Bar Convent Brooklyn, you know, I mean, there's halls of product over there that can get a person in trouble really quickly. So... Tell us, like, it, it seems like, you know, part of your whole bent is that you don't want to bring to, to market things that have existed before. So tell us a little bit about, like, what your aim is with yeah. Northern Rose. Yeah, totally. Um, I think, you know, naturally for me, being from Canada, I want to represent, you know, a, a part of the world that um, I'm, I'm from uh, and, and a very, you know, bring on products that are very terroir-driven and, and all that good stuff. But... Um, you know, I think more importantly, I want to work with producers that are, you know, quote unquote, nonconformist. Um, and what what I mean by that is is someone who's creating something for themselves, right? And possibly in an unapologetic way. <laughs> um, I think, you know, most Americans or even you know people from around different parts of the world, when they think of Canadians. They think of us as being so nice, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> or saying things like, sorry, um, you know, this sort of thing, right? But one thing that may go, you know, somewhat unrecognized is just how tough some of us are. Sure. <laughs> um, and I think that's something that all of the producers that we get to work with, um, and myself included, have in common. And, you know, whether that's, as we were just talking about earlier, our friends in Nova Scotia, they were commercial divers that built ships, which, fun fact, is actually one of the most dangerous jobs in the world. Right. Um, so whether it's, it's uh, still fire building their own stills and uh, you know, using seaweed as a botanical long before that was ever popular, um, whether that's you know, our friends in Quebec, uh, Mario creating the first aperitivo in Quebec, Right. Or if not, you know, possibly the first in all of Canada, really. Um, 
and new producers we have coming. Uh, I'll just mention, you know, Madeline is a second generation cheesemaker. She's making an eau de vie out of uh, their way, um, which is, of course, a byproduct of cheese. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all of these producers um, that we have the privilege of working with, you know, they're creating something that's their unique and own expression. It's unapologetic and not afraid to color outside of the lines, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, I, I guess I'm. Yes. Yeah, so, so like, I, I like the fact that in an era when spirits are just growing so much right now, that it does at times feel like we are. Some of the brands can feel like they are products first rather than passion in terms of like we're, we're trying to catch on to a trend. And yeah, finding this thing of someone who's making a delicious product that, you know. You know, clearly, they, hopefully, they'd like to make a living off of this, but it's more important for them to have something they are proud to stand by, exactly uh, right. as, as opposed to something where I'm like, "How do I get make sure that this gets labeled in?" Yeah. You know, uh, I think you know to what you know your your camel wearing uh, people, uh, your, your moonshine makers up there, like moonshine. We were just talking about, yeah. is this uh, looked down upon, derogatory, less than word to a lot of people. It's, you know, it's like, you know, at least in America, this is connoting, you know, shitty stuff from the hills of Kentucky or whatever. Yeah. And, but it doesn't mean that there can't be wonderful craftsmanship behind that. And having like, I think it's fair to say, the courage to own that label. Totally. And to begin to, because like, even earlier today when I was having a conversation about Pisco, while Pisco has not been trampled on as a name, as two producers I talked to, say like, you know, for a lot of people, it's like they hear Pisco, they think Pisco Sour, which who doesn't love a Pisco Sour? Absolutely. And then their thoughts end right after that. They, they're not curious enough to explore it. So, so tell us about a couple of the, uh, the moonshines, actually, too, yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and, and anytime you want to tell us about the producers at all, too, because it sounds like they, they can be some fun bunches of humans, too. So, <laughs> Oh, they're all um, incredible in each of their own unique ways, right? Um, so the, and, and same with, with each of Stillfire's moonshine. Uh, so... Um, the Fundy, for example, uh, the still-fired team starts out with base grain corn, local corn. They're distilling. Uh, they're distilling, you know, one to vodka, which, of, of course, then to, to gin, and one to whiskey. And their unaged corn whiskey, then they turn to moonshine. It's actually how they got started. Um, and so they make a whole line of different moonshines, whether it's, you know, coffee, apple pie, you know, but everything is so craft and locally collected and you know um, made from scratch if you will uh, like a like a like a good old-fashioned apple pie moonshine uh, apple pie grandma's apple pie let's mm -hmm. call it um, so the next product that we are going to uh, we're going to be importing it's actually landing uh, July 1st um, is their strawberry rhubarb moonshine so this is unaged corn whiskey, uh, and then they get local fresh-pressed strawberry and rhubarb juice. They add the slightest bit of sugar just to balance this, but I mean, when people, I've had, I've been tasting people on this, of course, in market, and the reaction has just been unbelievable because this is something that you smell this product, and it's got this really lovely fresh strawberry jammy nose, a bit like Bon Maman, um, you know, uh, strawberry jam. 
And so you're expecting this sweet, sweet liqueur, right? Um, which a lot of American-made products, if we're honest, can be pretty sweet. Sure, um, yep. And our palates here are, are pretty sweet to be um, as yep. well. Um, but it all of a sudden, it opens up into this just like super salty, dry, vermouth-style um, product that people are just blown away. Um, and I think that's because they're not afraid to not put stabilizers in it. They're not afraid to not overbalance this with sugar. They're, they're trying to make something that, um, you know, again, honest, <laughs> authentic, and they're not afraid if it doesn't, you know, maybe every palate's going to be different based on the fact on how the strawberries and rhubarbs did that season. Um, and so, you know, it's a, it's a delve into the natural wine spirits world, if you will, right? mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is a bit of a movement. So, yeah. Got it. Yeah, I, I, it's it, it is to me something that that warrants examination from people in terms of you know you know obviously here we're we're bringing in strawberry and rhubarb flavors, but I think you know as I was saying earlier, I always just think that there's something to this idea that 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 whiskey you know corn whiskeys in various ways are beloved and so so much, but it's like but we don't we don't love them until they have been you know aged. Sure, we assume that. Up until that point, it's just got to be crap, and, I, and so I think there there really is something to kind of re retilting our lens on this right here. Totally. Yeah. So for those of us, and that probably makes almost all of us, like who uh, have not spent any time importing spirits into the world, what does that look like? I mean, Canada is not that far from where we're sitting right now, per se. But like, what does it take in order to actually like bring booze across? an international borderline. What does that look like right there? <laughs> well, it's a whole heck of a lot of paperwork. <laughs> um, <laughs> they want your formulas, your your labels, your XYZ. Um, and uh, it's complicated. It takes a long time. You're at the mercy of, you know, the TTB, which is tobacco and firearms. Um, despite the fact that, to your point, um, it's very close and just above the border. Um, it's equally as complicated as our imported products that come from overseas. But in this case, it's a much smaller carbon footprint, if I may. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Okay. Um, but once you kind of have a product that's been on the market in Canada, other than like the paperwork, is it, are there like are there any are there any hiccups you encountered in the process or what was that kind of like in terms of like I guess is it just more like time and persistence and like you know enduring like endless amounts of paperwork or like or is there ever concern things aren't going to be allowed in I guess and I don't think if you can't answer that or you don't know the answer no worries but uh. I mean I'll just I'll, I'll quickly share a, a, a story which is you know when we first started bringing in the marmalade from uh, Quebec yeah. Uh, I mentioned Mario, the producer. I, we'd kind of gone back and forth um, around, they ask for your formula, right? Um, and so, you know, he sort of, <laughs> we did this during the pandemic, so we didn't get the opportunity to meet face to face. Sure. In fact, our, um, yeah. our our initial meeting was going to be in March of 2020. Oh my, um, the number of things that I, I know people like had projects, start- anyways, that's crazy. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> Of course, right? But this beautiful trip through Quebec land. Um, but uh, he, so he hadn't looked me in the eye. Like, he, you know, he didn't know me necessarily, right? So um, he said, <laughs> okay, that's, 
that's about enough. Like, what is, like, how much more do you want, you know, for this whole adventure? I, I think, you know, they're not going to take my formula. Like, who are you, basically, right. you know? Uh, my recipes, everything, right? So um, it took some back and forth. But there's certainly been times when, you know, people have kind of wondered, should we even pull the trigger on this, sure, right? Sure, like, um, So, but we're very glad that we did. Yeah. So one of the other things I would be interested, honestly, to talk about that I have not had a chance to really ever talk about on the podcast at all is amaretto. And I think it's, what's interesting is, is that um, I think you can have a number of people that are fans, but a couple of things. One, I think, you know, amaretto, speaking of spirits and liqueurs having their names dirtied, you know. I think amaretto sours are certainly like would be on a short list of like cocktails that were truly destroyed totally. or, or just never realized in like the era of like the cocktail dark ages, you know? So like it would have been too sweet, not sour enough, not proofed high enough because, you know, you know, amaretto. So what do you, do you know what your, your amaretto clocks in at 28%. So, you know, so in general, like if you're just having that a sweet and sour mix god forbid and heaven and even more sweetness if you're pouring sprite in there anyways i'd love to hear about the amaretto but also i feel like if people even had a bottle they might not even know what to to do with it so so to whatever insights you can share but tell us a little bit about the amaretto and of course importantly why people should be thinking if people end up having a bottle of yours or just a good one in general what should they even be doing with this stuff yeah. Um, oh my well, God, it smells so good. I, I know. Um, well, I'll start there with uh, what to do with it. Um, drink it, right? Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you're, yeah. This does not suck, guys. Yeah. No. no. Um, you pour it over ice and squeeze lemon. Um, there is, I think this is, you know, almost an at home and an in bar bartender's secret weapon, right? And this. This amaretto in particular, um, you know, it's, I think of miele amaretto as almost a category in itself. Um, you know, right from the name, miel, French for honey, or miele, Italian for honey, also the name of uh, Mario, the maker's uh, two children, Milan and Eleanor, they're here in the artwork as well. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, right from the name, we're starting with a honey-based amaretto, right? So. Uh, you know, there's just so many layers and textures to this spirit. The honey base adds this luscious viscosity to it, as you're yep. experiencing. Um, of course, there's the main, you know, nutty almond flavor, but there's also layers of toasted sesame, chamomile, ginger. Um, you know, it's it's just stunning. So, I mean, who doesn't like all of these things? <laughs> yeah, and I will say that compared to, and because I've tasted definitely some 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 nicer amarettos. And at least in my mind, what I will say is there is, it, it finishes with a little more warmth and how much of that is alcohol versus to your point, like, like ginger or things like that, helping to kind of add a little heat to it. So it, it's nice. It is, you know, the, the, the texture is very like immediately just like fills up the mouth for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, like, I mean, yeah. So for those of you at home who are like, what do I do with my amaretto on ice to Kristen's point? A little bit of lemon, for sure. Totally. And if you're like, oh, I don't know if I like this, you might want to look at the amaretto. Did you buy, like, you know, some $7 bottle at the store? And sometimes, unfortunately, the uh, the trouble lies in uh, the, the raw ingredient we we start with on some of these things. 
That's exactly right. And so this comes from a larger, and the aperitivo we have here in front of us too, they both come from the same producer, right? They are. And so, and they have like a, a suite of like eight products or something like that? That's right, a okay. full line of uh, Italian-inspired uh, products being made in Quebec. Okay, mm -hmm. and, and what, um, you know, knowing that you, again, with this whole idea being like, you're not here trying to like add just another product to the market, and I mean, so the Amaretto's wonderful, but what spoke to you about these two products where you're like, you know what, I need to try to see if I can get these two in my portfolio that I'm pushing? I think it, it's it's kind of a lot similar to what I was suggesting around the Amaretto, right? It's it's the complexity and the layers and, you know, almost the, the journey that they take you through um, on your palate, right? So, you know, um, the marmalade is, people always ask us, you know, is this aperitivo? Are we comparing to Aperol? Are we comparing to, uh, you know, Campari, et cetera, et cetera. This is, you know, this is just a true expression of an Italian aperitivo, but from Quebec. Sure. Right? So the lovely herbaceous backbone of sweet gale and these lovely local um, Quebec-inspired um, flavors like sea buckthorn, different things like that. It's It just lends itself to um, a lot of beautiful, let's call it pre-dinner drinks, right? Whether it's a spritz, yep. uh, it can even go into a Negroni. You know, there's, sure. there's just so many different things you can do with this, uh, with this beautiful product. The minute you open it, which you will in a moment, you'll That's be right. aromatically, you're just going to fall in love. Yeah, and I guess with the proofing at 18, I, my memory's telling me that Campari, I think, is 24, 25%, and Aperol, I know, is 11. So, yeah, kind of like sl slips right in the middle in terms of at least the actual proofing. Um, okay, got it. So, yeah, you're right, because I think it's more, because I think I, I even put it in there as like a, a question. And, yeah, like sometimes, like, you know, hey, is this more like Aperol or Campari or whatever? These aren't the right questions. It's just more, I just feel like for the layperson in the store, you know, it's like they, they're often just so lacking any context for like, you That's know, right. they see this, they even see the term aperitivo and they go, okay, cool, what's that, right? Like the number of people that don't make the leap to realize like, oh, this is going to be at least like a lot of Italian bitters or other lighter aperitifs. Um, so I think sometimes I'm looking for just that, like, uh, what does that half step look like for someone to at least try to get their mind around, as opposed to treating this like a category of one. That's right. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure Mario, our, the maker, will appreciate that as well, Chris. Okay. Okay. And and you pronounce this um, a mermelade or how, how's it? Sorry. sorry. So I have, a, I have a French last name, but I do not speak a lick of French. So. <laughs> we, we pronounce it in many ways, depending on kind of where you are, but a marmalade, a marmalade. Okay. Um, marmalade. That's right. <laughs> For those of us from the southern Midwest, uh, we'll say marmalade. Uh, but, um, but again, I'm not French-Canadian. Okay. I'm, I'm from Newfoundland, so I, I you know, my, my French-Canadian accent is a little different. <laughs> mm. Yeah, very, yeah, okay. And, and so do we do, like, typical, like, oranges and other things, like, in this guy right here? Absolutely. Or? Okay. Yeah. So I don't know if there's anything like you. So as Northern Rose continues to grow and get its products spread, like, what are your visions for the for the company for your future and is there anything about that you'd care 
to share it all in terms of where where you're hoping this might all all go yeah i think you know there's obviously naturally product expansion right we're going to want to bring in um, new and exciting and innovative things um, that that come across you know our radar right um, from from canada and maybe even beyond uh, in, in other um, other countries uh, but um, i think we're going to expand across the, the u.s um, we recently uh, launched these three products actually in uh, the state of Arizona, which the idea was bring the ocean to the desert, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, they're all, people are really enjoying all of these, which is what's most important. Um, uh, but for me personally, um, I do eventually, uh, I would like to make products. Um, okay. It's a very specific one, actually. Um, I'm interested in in making a rum, um, actually, okay. <laughs> uh, not because uh, in in contradictory to what I'm saying about terroir-driven uh, spirits from Canada, <laughs> um, sugarcane certainly doesn't try, uh, grow in Canada, but um, <laughs> sugarcane grows really well in the Philippines, and okay. um, I happen to be uh, connected to the Philippines. Um, through a nonprofit uh, friend of mine and I started many years ago. It's been unfortunately on pause since the pandemic and the start of you know this business and other sure. things. Sure, got, um, got a lot on your plate. Yeah, um, but uh, this connection to the Philippines and, and the sugarcane, I would like to you know kind of spend some time firsthand. Uh, you know, with some of the school systems in the Philippines, uh, which is how we got working with, started this nonprofit. But um, the the children in the schools um, end up leaving halfway through the day to go work on sugarcane fields, and uh, took them a few months for them for me to convince, or a few weeks for them to be convinced to let me actually go chop sugarcane myself and see what kind of hard work that was. Wow! Um, yep. And. I, I barely last a few hours, and I'd like to think of myself as a hard worker, but um, these, uh, these tapaceros work, you know, six days a week, and they spend their seventh day waiting for pesos at the refinery, um, and this whole system is just so corrupt um, that my dream, and again, this is who knows how far out, sure. is uh, to have that sugarcane juice uh, presented to a rum here <laughs> sort of random importing it's not rum, random at all you know? I, I don't but, know but you but you you had said earlier that um you know hey like the philippines occupied a very special moment in your life yes and these things begin to imprint themselves on who we are and i think it's cool to think about building and maintaining a you know deepening a connection you know with a place that matters to you sure um and especially in the field that you're already in or whatever, like, you know, to bring dignified product and labor to a market. Um, and also with a, I mean, who doesn't love this industry? It's great. So, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's, thank you for, thank you for, for sharing. We, I appreciate it. Well, Chris, I, I come by this honestly. I come from a pirate and a princess uh, from Newfoundland. So uh, <laughs> I'd like to think I relate to both. Yeah. <laughs> and, 
you know, the, the bootlegging comes naturally. Right? Yeah. I don't know. So for people that want to find the products that either keep up with the journey or, of course, like, so right now, New York and Arizona. Do we have other, other states that we're in, or are those your two markets right now primarily? They're the two right now. Totally fair. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so where, where do people find you on the interwebs to, uh, to kind of keep up with what you're, what you're oh, working on? Oh, it's all, you know, northernrosespirits.com, at northernrosespirits. We've got a whole Instagram presence, I suppose. Yeah, you do. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm just Kristen at Northern Rose Spirits. It's, okay. That's me. Well, thank you for taking time to chat here, uh, and uh, yeah, have a have a delicious and not too inebriated uh, BCB. So, <laughs> thank you, Chris. Hey, everybody! Thanks for listening. The show notes for today's episode are available at decodingcocktails.com/podcast. If you'd like to keep up with what we're working on, there are two great ways to do so. One, our short weekly newsletter, Cocktail Confidential, which you can sign up for at decodingcocktails.com slash newsletter. Or give us a follow on Instagram at decodingcocktails. If you think this podcast is great stuff, we'd love it if you'd subscribe or, of course, share an episode with a friend. The Decoding Cocktails podcast is produced by Chris Bay and myself. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon, and happy cocktail.